Chapter Ten of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Ten. Clad for a long railway journey on a hot day, a grey figure of fluent lines, of composedly decisive movements a little felt hat close-fitting to the spirited head leaving full and frank the soft rounded face with its quietly observant eyes its lips of contained humour irene derwent stepped from a cab at euston station and went forward into the booking-office from the box-seat of the same vehicle descended a brisk cheerful little man looking rather like a courier than an ordinary servant who paid the cabman saw to the luggage and at a respectful distance followed Miss Derwent along the platform. It was Thibault Rosignon. A grey-clad also, with air no less calm and sufficient, a gentleman carrying newspapers in Britannic abundance moved towards the train which was about to start. Surveying for a moment with distant curiosity the travellers about him, his eyes fell on that maiden of the sunny countenance just as she was entering a carriage. He stopped, insensibly drew himself together, subdued a smile, and advanced for recognition. "'I am going to Liverpool, Miss Derwent. May I have the pleasure?' "'If you'll promise not to talk politics, Mr. Jacks.' "'Oh, I can't promise that. I want to talk politics.' "'From here to Crewe?' Oh, "'As far as rugby, let us say. After that, morphology or some other of your light topics.' It seemed possible they might have the compartment to themselves, for it was mid-August, and the tumult of northward migration had ceased. Arnold Jacks, had he known a moment sooner, would have settled it with the guard. He looked forbiddingly at a man who approached, who in his turn stared haughtily and turned away. Irene beckoned to Thibault, and from the window gave him a trivial message for her father, speaking in French. Thibault, happy to serve her, put a world of chivalrous respect into his Eh bien, mademoiselle? Arnold Jacks averted his face and smiled. Was she girlish enough, then, to find pleasure in speaking French before him? Oh, a charming trait! The train started, and Mr. Jacks began to talk. It was not the first time that they had merrily skirmished on political and other grounds. They amused each other and, as it seemed, in a perfectly harmless way, the English way of mirth between man and maid, candid, inelusive, without self-consciousness. Arnold made the most of his thirty years, spoke with a tone something paternal. He was wholly sure of himself, knew so well his own mind, his scheme of existence, that Irene's beauty and her charm were nothing more to him than an aesthetic perception that she should feel an interest in him, a little awe of him, was to be hoped and enjoyed. He had not the least thought of engaging deeper emotion, would indeed have held himself reprobate had such purpose entered his head. Nor is it natural to an Englishman of this type to imagine that girls may fall in love with him. Love has such a restricted place in their lives, is so consistently kept out of sight in their familiar converse they do not entirely believe in it. It ill accords with their practical philosophy. Marriage? Oh, that's another thing. 
the approaches to wedlock are a subject of honourable convention not to be confused with the trivialities of romance i'm going down to liverpool he said presently to meet trafford remain it gratified him to see the gleam in miss derwent's eyes the announcement had its hoped-for effect trafford romaine the atlas of our colonial world the much debated the universally interesting champion of greater british interests she knew of course that arnold jacks was his friend no one could talk with mr jacks for half an hour without learning that but the off-hand mention of their being about to meet this very day had an impressiveness for irene i saw that he was coming to england from the states yes he has been over there on a holiday merely a holiday of course the papers have tried to find a meaning in it that kind of thing amuses him vastly he says in his last letter to me carelessly the letter was drawn from an inner pocket only a page and a half arnold read it out a bluff and rather slangy epistolary style may i see his hand asked irene trying to make fun of her wish he gave her the letter and watched her amusedly as she gazed at the first page on receiving it back again he took his penknife carefully cut out the great man's signature and offered it for irene's acceptance thank you oh you know of course that i regard it as a mere curiosity oh yes why not so do i the theory of evolution by a leading question or two miss derwent set her companion talking at large of trafford romaine his views and policies the greatest man in the empire he declared the only man in fact who held the true imperial conception and had genius to inspire multitudes with his own zeal arnold's fervour of admiration betrayed him into no excessive vivacity no exuberance in phrase or unusual gesture such as could conflict with good form he talked like the typical public schoolboy with a veneering of wisdom current in circles of higher officialdom enthusiasm was never the term for his state of mind instinctively he shrank from that as a thing gallic foreign but the spirit of practical determination could go no further he followed trafford romaine as at school he had given allegiance to his cricket captain impossible to detect a hint that he felt the life of peoples in any way more serious than the sports of his boyhood yet equally impossible to perceive how he could have been more profoundly in earnest this made the attractiveness of the man he compelled confidence it was felt that he never exaggerated in the suggestion of force concealed beneath his careless mirthful manner irene in spite of her humorous observation hung upon his speech involuntarily she glanced at his delicate complexion at the whiteness and softness of his ungloved hand and felt in a subtle way this combination of the physically fine with the morally hard trenchant tenacious close your eyes and arnold jacks was a high-bred bulldog endowed with speech not otherwise would a game animal of that species advanced to a world polity utter his convictions you take for granted she remarked 
that our race is the finest fruit of civilization. Certainly, don't you? It's having a pretty good conceit of ourselves. Is every foreigner who contests it a poor deluded creature? Take the best type of Frenchman, for instance. Is he necessarily fatuous in his criticism of us? Why, of course he is. He doesn't understand us. He doesn't understand the world. He has his place, to be sure, but that isn't in international politics. We are the political people. We are the ultimate rulers. Our language... There's a quotation from Virgil. Oh, I know. We are very like the Romans. But there are no new races to overthrow us. He began to sketch the future extension of Britannic lordship and influence. Kingdoms were overthrown with a joke. Continents were annexed in a boyish phrase. Armageddon transacted itself in sheer lightness of heart. Laughing, he waded through the blood of nations, and in the end seated himself with crossed legs upon the throne of the universe. "'Do you know what it makes me wish?' said Irene, looking wicked. "'That you may live to see it?' "'No. <laughs> that someone would give us a good licking for the benefit of our souls. Having spoken it, she was ashamed, and her lip quivered a little. But the train had slackened speed, and they entered a station. Oh, rugby! she exclaimed with relief. Now, have you any views about the treatment of the phylloxera? Odd that you should mention that. Why? Oh, only because my father has been thinking about it. We have a friend from Avignon staying with us, all but ruined in his vineyards. Jacks had again taken out his letter-case. He selected a folded sheet of paper and showed what looked like a dry blade of grass. The wheat, he said, on certain farms in his company's territory, had begun to suffer from a strange disease. Here was an example of the parasite-eaten growth. No one yet had recognised the disease or discovered a cheque for it. "'Let my father have it,' said Irene. "'He's interested in all that kind of thing.' "'Really? Seriously?' "'Oh, quite seriously. He would much like to see it.' Hmm. "'Then I will either call on him or write to him when I get back.' Miss Derwent had not yet spoken of her destination. She mentioned now that she was going to spend a week or two with relations at a country place in Cheshire. She must change trains at Crewe. This gave a lighter turn to the conversation. Arnold Jacks launched into frank gaiety, and Irene met him with spirit. Not a little remarkable was the absence of the note of sex from their merry gossip in the narrow seclusion of a little railway compartment. Irene was as safe with this world-conquering young man as with her own brother. Would have been so, probably, on a desert island. They were not man and woman, but English gentleman and lady, and, from one point of view, very brilliant specimens of their kind. At Crewe both alighted, Arnold to stretch his legs for a moment. Oh, "'By the by,' he said, as Miss Derwent, having seen to her luggage, was bidding him farewell. "'I'm sorry to hear that young Otway has been very ill.' "'Ill? I had no knowledge of it. In Russia?' "'Yes. My father was speaking of it yesterday. 
he had heard it from his friend old mr otway fever of some kind he's all right again i believe oh we have heard nothing of it oh there's your whistle good-bye jacks leapt into his train waved a hand from the window and was whirled away for the rest of her journey irene seemed occupied with an alternation of grave and amusing thoughts at moments she looked seriously troubled this passed and the arrival found her as bright as ever the pink of modern maidenhood and fancy free the relatives she was visiting were two elderly ladies cousins of her mother representatives of a family native to this locality for hundreds of years one of the two had been married but husband and child were long since dead the other devoted to sisterly affection had shared in the brief happiness of the wife and remained the solace of the widow's latter years they were in circumstances of simple security living as honoured gentlewomen without display as without embarrassment fulfilling cheerfully the natural duties of their position but seeking no influence beyond the homely limits their life a humanising example a centre of charity and peace the house they dwelt in came to them from their yeoman ancestors of long ago it was held on a lease of one thousand years from near the end of the sixteenth century at a quit rent of one shilling and certain pieces of furniture still in use were contemporary with the beginning of that tenure no corner of england more safely rural beyond sound of railway whistle bosomed in great old elms amid wide meadows and generous tillage sloping westward to the river dee and from its soft green hills descrying the mountains of wales here in the old churchyard lay irene's mother she died in london but dr derwent wished her to rest by the home of her childhood where irene too as a little maid had spent many a summer holiday over the grave stood a simple slab of marble white as the soul of her it commemorated graven thereon a name parentage dates of birth and death no more irene's father cared not to tell the world how that bereavement left him round about were many kindred tombs the most noticeable that of mrs derwent's grandfather a ripe old scholar who rested from his mellow meditations just before the century began guilielmi w p docti integri reliquiae seu potius exuviae it was the first latin irene learnt and its quaint phrasing to this day influenced her thoughts of mortality standing by her mother's grave she often repeated to herself seu potius exuviae and wondered whether her father's faith in science excluded the hope of that old world reasoning she would not have dared to ask him for all the frank tenderness of their companionship on that subject dr derwent had no word to say no hint to let fall she knew only that in speaking of her they had lost his voice would still falter she knew that he always came into this churchyard alone and was silent troubled for hours after the visit instinctively too she understood that though her father might almost be called a young man and had abounding vitality no second wife would ever obscure to him that sacred memory it was one of the many grounds she had for admiring as much as she loved him 
his loyalty stirred her heart coloured her view of life the ladies had some little apprehension that their young relative fresh from contact with a many-sided world might feel a dullness in their life and their interests but nothing of the sort entered irene's mind she was intelligent enough to appreciate the superiority of these quiet sisters to all but the very best of the acquaintances she had made in london or abroad and modest enough to see in their entire refinement a correction of the excessive saint jean to which society tempted her they were behind the times only in the sense of escaping by seclusion those modern tendencies which vulgarise an excellent library of their own supplied them with the essentials of culture and one or two periodicals kept them acquainted with all that was worth knowing in the activity of the day they belonged to the very small class of persons who still read who have mind and leisure to find companionship in books their knowledge of languages passed the common in earlier years they had travelled and their reminiscences fostered the liberality which was the natural tone of their minds to converse familiarly with them was to discover their grasp of historical principles their insight into philosophic systems their large apprehension of world problems at the same time they nurtured jealously their intellectual preferences differing on such points from each other as they did from the common world one of them would betray an intimate knowledge of some french or italian poet scarce known by name to ordinary educated people something in him had appealed to her mind at a certain time and her memory held him in gratitude the other would be found to have informed herself exhaustively concerning the history of some neglected people dear to her for some subtle reason of affinity or association but in their table talk appeared no pedantry things merely human were as interesting to them as to the babbler of any drawing-room and their inexhaustible kindliness sweetened every word they spoke nothing more salutary for irene derwent than this sojourn with persons whom she in every way respected with whom there was not the least temptation to exhibit her mere dexterities in london during this past season she had sometimes talked as a young clever and admired girl is prone to do always to the mockery of her sage self when looking back on such easy triumphs how very easy it was to shine in london drawing-rooms no one knew better here in the country stillness in this beautiful old house sacred to sincerity of heart and mind to aim at smartness would indeed have been to condemn oneself instead of phrasing she was content as became her years to listen she enjoyed the feeling of natural youthfulness of spontaneity without misgiving the things of life and intellect appeared in their true proportions she saw the virtue of repose when she had been here a day or two the conversation chanced to take a turn which led to her showing the autograph of trafford romaine she said merely that a friend had given it to her an interesting man i should think remarked the elder of the two sisters without emphasis an englishman of a new type wouldn't you say fell from the other so far as i understand him or perhaps of an old type under new conditions irene paying close attention was not sure that she understood all that these words implied 
he is immensely admired by some of our friends she said with restraint they compare him to the fighting heroes of our history indeed rejoined the elder lady but the question is are those the qualities that we want nowadays i admire sir walter raleigh but i should be sorry to see him just as he was playing an active part in our time they say ventured irene with a smile that but for such men we may really become a mere nation of shopkeepers do they oh but may we not fear that their ideal is simply a shopkeeper ready to shoot any one who rivals him in trade the finer qualities i admit but one distrusts the objects they serve we are told said irene that england must expand oh, probably but the mere necessity of the case must not become our law it won't do for a great people to say make room for us and we promise to set you a fine example of civilization refuse to make room and we'll blow your brains out one doubts the quality of the civilization promised irene laughed delighted with the vigour underlying the old lady's calm and gentle habit of speech yet she was not convinced though she wished to be a good many times she had heard in thought the suavely virile utterances of arnold jacks his voice had something that pleased her and his way of looking at things touched her imagination she wished these ladies knew arnold jacks that she might ask their opinion of him and yet she felt she would rather not have asked it. End of chapter 10